Hello, all of you, and welcome to Grace Baptist Cartersville podcast. Before I turn it over to Pastor Kyle, hello, Grace Baptist family. Thank you so much for joining us again on our podcast. I hope you're having a great week. I hope that if you're wanting more information from Grace Baptist, that you'll reach out. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can also watch our services live on YouTube. Or, I'm telling you, I, I use this every week and I mean it. If you've got questions or if you'd like to start a conversation, please feel free to email me at kyle, K-Y-L-E, at gracecartersville.com. Hey, why don't we jump right into it today? I'm so excited because I've continually loved the book of James. It's one of my favorites, probably not my favorite, but it's a good one. We're going to be in chapter 3 again today in the latter part, but before we even start reading, let's catch up just a little bit on where we've been. Now, after spending our first several weeks discussing the importance of works in our faith, it's not that we are saved by our works, but that works are the evidence that faith exists. James has given us all kinds of instructions and illustrations that we should be doers of the Word. That was chapter 1. That was one of our first weeks when we began. That we would be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. That was instruction from that same week. Along those same lines, last week, James took an even more in-depth look at how central the mouth or the tongue, how central it is to our faith. With our tongue, we proclaim and honor the praise and the glory of our God, but we also use the tongue to cut down those that are closest to us. And or we become a stumbling block to someone that's outside of the faith. In James's words, it should not be this way, and our Christian walk will continue to be a fight against the poison that comes out of our mouth. Now, with special emphasis at the beginning of chapter 3, James points out the double judgment of those that are called teachers and the task at hand for those that have students in one way, shape, or another. We agreed last week that all of us as believers are teaching someone about Christianity. It all depends on what we're teaching, if we're teaching it in a positive light or in a negative light with the way that we lead. Now, in our text today, James is going to continue on with this conversation in regards to proper teaching and what should come from our mouths. It's not only applicable for teachers, but it is a reminder for all of us because of the influence that we have on others around us. I'm going ahead and giving you the title today ahead of time, something to be thinking on. We will be dissecting wisdom. So let's read James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Let's pray together. God in heaven, thank you for the book of James, the 
straight to the point, blunt, laid out plainly way that James speaks. It is so easy for us to apply it, but God, we need your help through your Holy Spirit to have the conviction, to have the plan moving forward, to be doers of your word. Bless us, Lord, and guide us as we worship through the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've shared with you before that some of my spiritual growth in the past has come about because I would pick a word for the year. Not so much a New Year's resolution. Uh, Those are usually gone by February. But focusing on one biblical word and a biblical verse that, that pertains to it, letting that be my focus for the entire year and for my entire year of spiritual growth. Now, the first time that I did this might have been the most beneficial. It was back in 2014, and the word that I used was indeed wisdom. And James has already instructed us that we should ask for wisdom and to do so with the expectation that we will receive it. For me, In that year, I wanted to read the Bible more than I ever had. I wanted to dig into my church home at that time more than I ever had before. More continuous serving, making more of an impact, being intentional to make relationships within the church. I wanted to do all of that and also as much acquiring of wisdom as I could. The verse that coincided with this word was Proverbs 4, 7. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding. In other translations, it says that wisdom is the beginning. Before you start with anything else, start with, begin with acquiring wisdom. Not asking double-tongued or being double-minded, which implies that one is asking without real faith. So first, let's ask the question. Before we can dissect wisdom, we've got to understand what we're going to dissect. Part one, what is wisdom? It makes sense that one should begin with asking for wisdom because the guy that wrote these Proverbs was a king named Solomon, and this is exactly how his wisdom course got started. It got done simply by him asking. This comes from 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, Ask, what should I give you? Skip it on down a few verses. We pick up again in verse 9. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, Because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. Why did it please God that Solomon asked for wisdom and not riches? This man was king. And he had plenty of resources for wealth. He also had plenty more resources and armies to accrue more wealth if he so choose to do so. But with his conversation with God, he asks for wisdom. There's a humility in that. 
One, he's recognizing God as the Almighty, as the creator of wisdom, the one who is perfect in wisdom. He's also recognizing that this is where wisdom comes from. It comes from the Lord. Now, the flip side of that coin looks like this. Second part, Solomon is recognizing that he is lacking. Sometimes the greatest thing that a leader can do is to let go and ask for help. If you skip on down and you look at Proverbs 8, something else that's perceived to be written by Solomon, we see wisdom personified or explained as if it's a person. Here's some quick characteristics that we see about wisdom itself. Wisdom makes good rulers. Wisdom is righteous. Wisdom is truth. Nothing is deceptive or perverse about wisdom. It's full of knowledge and perception. Wisdom hates arrogant pride. Contentment, lasting wealth, and honor come from wisdom. You may notice that James 3 piggybacks off of Proverbs 8, isn't it? It does so in a good bit. What is James' intention with this? Well, that gets to our second part. How does wisdom act? With James, we know good and well that our actions are going to somehow join together with the subject that he's discussing. This is his MO. This is how James operates. So according to the text, how does wisdom act? Verse 13, again, with his good conduct, his good works. They are done with gentleness. Let's be honest for a second. We don't care too much for this word gentleness. Gentleness doesn't sound strong or direct or to the point. Heck, there's nothing gentle about the world. So why would we choose to be, ooh, now wait a minute. Maybe that's the point. Did you catch that? Let's talk about it again. There is nothing gentle about this world. It's a tough, harsh place. And wisdom from above is gentle. So how can we love on a world that is rife with tension, malice, and dissension? Maybe we begin by showing a little gentleness. Maybe our gentleness will break down some barriers, lower some guards, and allow us to have some meaningful conversations that aren't shallow surface level. What are some easy ways to show gentleness, whether it's at work, with a spouse, on a sports team, whether it's in school? We can all speak respectfully. We can all be peace seekers looking for a solution and a common ground. We can all listen more and talk less. That comes straight from James. We can all have patience. These characteristics are supportive. Now, Sometimes when we think of support, we immediately go to financial support, what someone needs. Or if you have a mindset like me, I try to be a fixer. If someone comes to me with problems, I immediately want to give my opinion on the situation. Well, we've got X, Y, and Z, but if you do A, B, and C, then boom, your problem is solved. Sometimes I jump to that too much. That's not the support that they wanted. Maybe the best support that they, that they could receive, that I could give to them, is simply listening, having patience with them. Lots of times, they seek that more, or they seek gentleness more than the solution that I want to give them. Something else about gentleness, Jesus was gentle. Matthew 11 says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Now, that version doesn't come right out and say it, but yours might. That phrase that I just read from Matthew 11, that Jesus is lowly and humble in heart, it can just as well be translated as gentle. And with that gentleness, did Jesus ever back down from his beliefs? Did Jesus ever give in? Did Jesus ever let the other guy just walk all over him? No. Jesus stood firm with gentleness without giving ground on his beliefs. So a person with wisdom, according to verse 13, proves his wisdom by acting gently, unforced, not imposed, simply provided and shown. That type of wisdom is what someone seeks. And again, with James being a teacher, very skilled one, he provides for his students the correct usage. That's what we've just experienced. How to correctly use wisdom, characteristics of what it looks like. And now, he gives us how not to show wisdom. In verse 14, the envy and selfish ambition are direct opposites. If you're looking at your Bible, you could almost draw an arrow in between verses 13 and 14 to show the polar opposite. The opposite of good conduct and gentleness is envy and selfish ambition. These behaviors are the very antithesis of what James is expecting to find from those that proclaim to have wisdom given by God in heaven through the work of the Holy Spirit. If there is envy within you, first let's define it. The resentful, dissatisfied longing for another person's possessions, position, fortune, achievement, or success. Listen to me. The Bible never mentions envy in a positive light. There is no justified envy. All envy is of the flesh and not of the spirit. All envy is sin. Envy pitted Cain against Abel, put a rift between Leah and Rachel, severed the relationship between Saul and David, and it drives a wedge inside of our churches today. At its root, guess what? The root of envy, we could make an argument, it is idolatry. Hear me out, because it does not necessarily mean a tangible item. We think of an item or an idol as being something that is carved out. So could it be a position, a title, or wealth? Could those things become an idol? Yes, absolutely, but I don't even mean that type of idolatry. Think about it this way. If we make ourselves into being above someone else, or thinking that our wants and desires are more important than someone else's, then we've not only created an idol, but we have made ourselves an idol. If I want something to the detriment of someone else not having it, that's not of God. It makes me out to be a God. That means that my law, my views are above God's. That selfish ambition, it denies the truth of the Bible that we are not to covet. So what does envy and selfish ambition really have to do with wisdom? Well, it's hard to make that connection. But how can envy and selfish ambition be disguised as wisdom? Think about it this way. Do we serve? Do we assist? Do we help others so that we can prove to others just how good we are? Do we serve not in humility, but so that we can be promoted to the top? 
That's not wisdom. That's selfish ambition. That's self-promotion. And that's not gentleness. False wisdom could be described in that way. False wisdom that acts in this way is, verse 15, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Boy, isn't that some type of a progression? False wisdom, false teaching, given for self-service, is not only of the world and not of the flesh, it is separate from God completely. It is of the devil. And from what verse 16 says, it brings disorder and chaos. Why is it that we structure our worship services? Why do we establish our Sunday school teachers to be teaching from the Bible? Why do we want our kiddos and our students learning Scripture in their Sunday school classes and ministries as well? Because, well, we know good well that the best laid plans are going to go awry. We honor God with structure. We honor God with an intentionality and a preparation to stray too far from that is to invite chaos. Our God is a God of order, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Now, if we notice these characteristics of those that try to provide wisdom for us, we've got to ask, where is this wisdom coming from? Is it biblical? Here's the problem. Is it biblical? You've got to know the Bible to be able to decipher that. Is it sound in its doctrine? Again, you got to know the Bible in order to understand that. Is it worldly or is it spiritual? There is a difference, and we must be in tune with the Holy Spirit to know the difference. So now, last point, we've got to see what wisdom produces. Part four, the fruit of wisdom. Or we could ask the question, what does wisdom produce? And I said it that way on purpose. Uh, because when you go down the produce aisle in the grocery store, what are you looking for? Oftentimes, you're looking for fruit. Look again at verse 17 and 18. I'm going to read them a second time. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. A couple few quick things on this. Pure. The absence of any sinful attitude. Peace-loving, kind in disposition in their delivery. Gentle, or some have translated it a sweet reasonableness. Don't look past this, but what do you know? Wisdom should be gentle, and what does it produce? More gentleness. Gentleness is mentioned in both of these verses because once you have gentleness, it breeds more gentleness. It's compliant. That's another word that we don't like to use. Compliant, your translation may say willing to yield or not stubborn, full of mercy and good fruits, without the judgment of others. Woo. Full of mercy and good fruits means without judgment. Now, I go to a gym several times during the week. I'm not going to tell you the name of the gym, but they pride themselves on being a judgment-free zone. The gym itself, just any gym, can be an intimidating place. People don't feel welcome there. People feel like if they've never been to one that they stick out and they don't like to be looked at, poked fun at, whatever. I totally understand that. It's great marketing for them. It makes sense. It probably makes them more money. So you walk in the doors and there's three to four foot tall letters on the back wall that say judgment-free zone. Then right to the side of these letters is a sign. 
And on the sign, there's an alarm for people to push. And essentially, here are the guidelines of the alarm. If someone dresses in a certain way, if they're working out in a certain way, if they're carrying around something or have a certain type of equipment, then you push this alarm and somebody will come and make them stop. First of all, that's a little strange. Second of all, do you see the irony there? Judgment-free, unless... You act, look, think like this. We don't want this. Do we see maybe some of the hypocrisy in that? Well, good. I hope so, because I hate to tell you. Uh, I hope we see the difference in the two, but this is exactly how church is perceived. It could go something like this. We like to promote and say, come on home to Grace Baptist Church. We will meet you at the door. Come home. We would love to have you. But we want you to look, think, and act in this certain way. No. It doesn't work like that. doesn't work that way. Skipping ahead to the last verse. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Let's just reevaluate for a second. After looking back at these various descriptions, do you possess this type of wisdom? If you're unsure from this list, if you fit into it or not, let me supplement it with another set of verses from Galatians 5. You've probably heard this before. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You put these two together, and we see that wise counsel, wise sayings, and sound wisdom come from above. That means that they come from the Holy Spirit, and they can be measured by Scripture. It should look, smell, and act wisdom from above. It should sound like James chapter 3. So if we're dissecting wisdom and we've got our pretend tools and we're trying to cut away parts of it and see further inside to decipher some more things from the Bible to help us figure out whether we have wisdom or not, we've got to ask ourselves, are we following wisdom from the Bible or are we, are we following wisdom from the world? Better yet, are you being fooled into thinking one way and not the other? If you're dishing out Bible verses with the notion that that'll show them, well, that's not pure. If we're more concerned with being right and we don't care about how another person receives it, that's not peace-loving or gentle. The Word, the Word of God, is indeed a sword, and it will pierce and separate as if separating bone from marrow. But the intent, if you read all of Hebrews 4.12, is for the word to give life and not to break down. The word itself is going to separate. It will divide if it needs to. We don't have to speed up that process. So let's be real for just a minute. If we're honest and we say that we don't have this type of wisdom, or we say that we are worldly, then it's for one of two reasons. The first one, maybe you have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in the past. You know that you have received the Holy Spirit, but there's nothing inside of you that is producing fruit that is Spirit-led. The Spirit is so stifled in your life 
and it's still easier for you to follow the flesh. That's a problem. And I would encourage you, another word we don't like to use, but I would encourage you to repent, to turn away from this earthly, worldly life and turn towards the Lord. Surrender before the Lord and ask for revival in your life. Or you fall into the second category. Here's the other option. You recognize that these characteristics do not describe you. They do not define you. Maybe you have never surrendered to Jesus Christ. Here's what I mean by that. You have never admitted that you were a sinner. Being a sinner means that you are imperfect, that you cannot live up to God's perfect example. And you know what? None of us can. It's admitting this before the Lord. It's also believing that Jesus Christ did live the perfect life. He died for our sins, so He died the death that we deserved and then rose from the dead three days later so that our relationship with God could be reconciled. We have to believe this. And then we must commit to following Jesus for the rest of our life. We must commit to surrender to Him, to where His ways become our ways. That's what it means to be saved. This is why I give you the email address. If you've got questions on that, if you're unsure, if you would like to surrender to Christ and you're not really sure how, please again reach out to me at Kyle, K-Y-L-E, at gracecartersville.com. Let me pray for us. God, your word does it again. It speaks to us. It gives us application. Through your Holy Spirit, it convicts us of sin and convinces us of righteousness and judgment. We need you, God, and we thank you for the wisdom that comes from above. Lord, if we have received this wisdom, we must show it. We must act in a way as if we have wisdom from above and nothing that is earthly and essentially apart from you, Lord. God, we love you. Thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope to catch you again next week. In the meantime, remember, we love God, we serve others, and show grace.